Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Another Fine Mess, the global capital podcast on the colourful and wonderful world of European securitization. I am Victoria Thiele, our CLO reporter, and if this is not the warm baritone that you're used to hearing in this intro, that is because our usual host Tom is taking some well-deserved time off this week. But fear not, our ABS reporter George Smith and I are ready to rock it on our own, and we got a bunch of very interesting stories to talk about. So hi George, how are you doing? Uh, hello, yep, I'm very well. Congratulations on uh, arguably the greatest introduction in the rebirth of another fine mess. Thank you, thank you. I mean, at the very least it would be silver because this is just our second episode, but I do take it. Um, before we dive into our stories about the SRT market and Japanese investors buying CLOs again, um, I think our listeners sort of deserve an update on our on our big scoop from last week. Um, so if you haven't listened to our last episode, you absolutely should, because we exclusively revealed that George is going to be the father of a little girl in August. Um, and since the ABS market was very quiet this week, um, we thought we'd give all the bankers and investors that are now just idly sitting around a little task. Um, George, would you would you like to tell us what, what we did? Yeah, we, we put out a request for baby names on LinkedIn. And uh, I think we've got quite a number of suggestions back. So thank you to everybody who contributed to that. <laughs> yeah, uh, indeed, indeed. We, we got astonishing responses. Um, and coincidentally, I have the list of them right in front of me, George. Can you believe that? Um, so I'm, I'm going to read them out to you. Um, and then I think then then you can you can you can let us know who was the winner. So um, the very first one sort of slightly missing the mark because that is a boy's name um, is Securitization. Um, which is eliminated for obvious reasons, but uh, I still think it deserves an honorable mention. Then we had um, Chloe, which is much more obvious if you see it on my screen right now, because the CLO is in capital letters, so a very clever wordplay. Then um, the next category was acronyms, so we have Agnes Beatrice Smith, which would um, be abbreviated to ABS. Then we have Camilla Patricia Deirdre Ophelia Smith. Ah, uh, C C P D O, C P D Os. Yes, uh, an infamous, uh, an infamous pre, uh, two thousand and eight category of uh, securitization. Oh, I see, I see. Um, yeah, so some historic, um, historic value to this one, and then one that I liked a lot because um, you know it feels modern, it feels on point. Um, it would hardly stand out in primary school. Um, is Trancesca. <laughs> I thought it was absolutely uh, genius. Um, so yeah, those were the, the, the five. The winner of the pardon exactly. category. <laughs> um, so yeah, so these are our five contenders. George, um, does any of them instantly, did any of them instantly stand out for you? Um, what's what's going to be on the birth certificate? Well, I'm, I'm pleased to say I've got some uh, exclusive comment, <gasps> uh, as, as, is, as is my job. Um, <laughs> From the uh, from the baby's mother on this occasion, who uh, who told Global Capital that uh, Agnes Beatrice Smith was quite nice. nice. Um, I am I am I'm particularly <laughs> pleased with that um, because that was my suggestion. Um, <laughs> yeah, now that we got this out of the way, um, let's get to all the really fun stuff, George. Um, Last night, I spent about two hours trying to wrap my head around all the details of your story around about the 
SRT market and then I decided to just let you explain it to me instead. Um, so what is an SRT and why did you decide to write about it? Uh, an SRT stands for significant risk transfer. It's where a bank takes out effectively insurance on the kind of risky part of a loan or a pool of loans. Um, so uh, in a sense, it's one of the junior tranches of a securitization is what it's equivalent to, but the assets stay on the bank's balance sheet. So it's insurance against the kind of first loss on a okay. pool of assets. So, so it's different from uh, other securitizations in, the, in that sense that it stays stays on your balance sheet okay yeah so it's not a, a true sale of the assets but it is a genuine transfer of okay risk, okay and why did we venture into this subject this week jp morgan had or were closing in on a securitization of revolving credit facilities associated with european leverage loans yeah, so so based on that, what sort of were your the questions that you had about the market? Um, where did you go from there? Sort of what, what was special about this deal? Well, that deal was understood to have been delayed from 2021. Um, and so we wanted to understand a bit more about what had been delayed um, and whether more US banks would try to follow this kind of route. What we found out was that it's very possible more US banks could follow this route, um, not necessarily with exactly the same collateral, but quite possibly. Um, and particularly more North American banks, there's already been a big expansion of Canadian banks that are active in SRT this year. And an investor told us that uh, there are US banks looking at it and JP Morgan have done multiple deals uh, so have Goldman Sachs have done a few as well. So it is an area that's expanding, but then again, there have been predictions that US banks are going to expand into SRT for the last five or six years, and they haven't entirely materialized All every right. time. Um, so why do people think that they will do that? What is sort of the appeal to a bank um, to, to, to do an SRT here? Why don't they just do a securitization or basically a CLO and get them off their, their balance sheets? The, the, the underlying reason to do an SRT deal is uh, capital relief. It's about how much capital you have to hold against various loans. Um, and obviously, if you transfer the risky part of, an, of a loan, then that reduces your capital requirements. Um, but when it comes to revolving credit facilities specifically, the thing that makes kind of... Uh, a more conventional, or I guess, yeah, a traditional securitization less less appealing is that you want to keep the, you want to keep hold of them because they're done to manage your relationship with clients. Often, clients want a revolving credit facility, um, and they want, and it's a good sign if you're able to provide them one. But they can be quite capital intensive because uh, distressed borrowers will draw their full. Uh, their full credit limit and also the kind of amount that's borrowed can go up and down quite a lot hence the uh, revolving name so that makes the capital requirements okay, for them okay. quite intense that makes sense um and okay so so i i get why they would do that but sort of who would buy that are people are people keen to buy that kind of thing um and are they waiting for us banks to deliver it 
to them in Europe? They have access to US uh, collateral already. There's European banks who can provide it and there's other ways of going to get it. It's more these kind of these market leaders in the US who haven't been so active in Europe, who they'd, they'd be keen to see and they'd be keen to buy from. But SRT is growing enormously. And so having a bit of extra supply from US banks isn't going to be the kind of crucial thing to the market's future in any way. Uh, there's enough to go around right. as it is. Um, cool. So I guess we'll we'll wait and see um, or or hear because um, it's a rather opaque market. Um, so everybody, please keep their eyes open and absolutely get in touch with us if they have any thoughts of this or would like would like to talk um, further about this. So um, nice, George. I thought it was a really interesting story. The main reason I uh, come on this podcast, I, I thought originally, was to talk about uh, ABS Primary because it's uh, very exciting, but. There sadly hasn't been much at all this week. What there has been is uh, plenty of CLO primary issuance. Um, yeah, so we're still in the sort of little surprise mini wave um, of CLO issuance in Europe. And um, this week we had a couple of them pricing. There was um, Bain Capital who did one um, priced at 175 basis points, kind of nice and tight compared to where they landed before the global ABS conference in Barcelona. Then we had um, Cairn pricing one, and then, which was the most exciting to me this week, um, was InvestCorp that did um, a CLO through their vehicle called Harvest. And what made uh, that deal so exciting? So the cool thing about that was um, that unlike in the other CLOs that are in the market right now, the entire AAA tranche was pre-placed with an investor. And investors and market participants in general have been telling me that the documentation around the deal contains certain elements um, that are quite typical for what the Japanese bank Nochu would require of a CLO if they were to take the most senior tranche. Um, so this might mark the return of Japanese or Asian people say it's an Asian investor definitely um but it looks it looks like what Nochu would ask for um so yeah this might mark the return of Japanese investors to the CLO market would would be quite a big deal that is quite exciting and uh it's quite uh a mixed yeah yeah it is so um I mean a lot of people are quite excited about it because the way those Japanese investors operate um especially Nochu um who used to be sort of the biggest global CLO investor um, between 2016 and 19, roughly. Um, and what they would do is come in um, off the CLO manager to take the entire AAA tranche, so all the safest, um, the safest bonds, and offer quite a decent price. So usually better than what what the CLO manager could get by just syndicating it, um, but in exchange they ask to include certain more bondholder friendly conditions um, in the documentation than usual. And yeah, so on the one hand, people are excited about this because as we all know, um, this yellow market is struggling with relatively widespread and difficult arbitrage at the moment. So this sort of demand would potentially really help on that front. And then if there's more demand for AAA tranches, that could mean that would mean um, more demand for CLOs, more demand for primary loan issuance, then 
more demand for M&A um, and then this could sort of hopefully kickstart this virtual cycle of um, CLO demand and M&A demand sort of supporting each other um, that has been missing from the market. But yeah, you're right, George. On the other hand, there are some people who are less thrilled because of um, those extra stipulations that I mentioned. So one CLO manager in particular um, called them an acquired taste, um, those investors. Um, and <laughs> uh, yeah, sort of pointed out that some of those requirements that they would have um, make sense and others make a lot of work. <laughs> largely predominantly um and yes i think he went so far as to say that um CLO managers would be enslaved to the japanese investors which seems a bit extreme um but yeah so so not everybody is exclusively excited about it one question i i did have is how kind of many more of these investors are there and how homogenous are they do they all put these um, kind of requirements so on CLO a couple of them. Nochu is the biggest one. Um, and then there is the Japanese Post Bank, which was also significant. Um, there are a few more regional um, regional banks that have sort of become a bit more dominant while there was a pause in the market for the past um, sort of almost three years. Um, and a couple of others, they, it seems to be a pattern for those types of investors to have requirements and then anchor deals. Um, but there do seem to be differences. Um, I don't think they all behave the same. Is this the, the first sign since, was it 2019 when they stopped, uh, when they disappeared from the market that they might return? So yeah, maybe we should go into the history of this a little bit. Um, so as I said, there were a big thing between 2016 and 2019. Um, before then, Japanese regulators came in and sort of started questioning a little bit um, why they were holding so many CLOs um, and tightened certain parts of regulation that then led to, especially Nochu, um, stopping buying new CLOs for a while. Um, and over the past two years, occasionally you would there, there would be rumors of them returning and starting to to participate in deals again. So there seemed to be some activity in 2021 where they slowly came back, but then in 2022 um, the UK government um, published its mini budget, which led to a bit of turmoil in the guild market, um, which Global Capital has extensively covered at the time. And um, yeah, so then then it sort of dropped again. So from what I've heard, this seems to be the first time in about a year that a Japanese investor is coming in like that and actually taking the entire senior tranche of a deal. Um, so it would be would be quite a significant um, event. And then I also heard some rumors, um, not much known about that yet, that there is another Japanese investor, um, or just a Japanese investor, might be the same, might be a different one, who is thinking about participating in a deal in the second half of the year and is in talks with CLO managers, but their decision hasn't been made yet as to which and how and who is involved. Well, it is. It's uh, certainly quite an exciting moment for the uh, the CLO market. Then, um, perhaps uh, we should return to uh, some of the things we talked about at the end of last week. Um, we uh, we gave listeners an update on what we had planned for this week, um, and you and I having a very interesting coffee meeting um, at Soho Coffee. Recommendation for that. Um, nice coffee quiet atmosphere um 
with an ABS investor. <clears throat> and um, that it was a very interesting conversation, but it hasn't featured very much in what we wrote about this week. So um, I was just sort of curious what stood out to you most in that conversation, given that you are more focused on ABS than I am. Yeah, so we were chatting to this investor about the UK mortgage affordability worries, um, kind of what impact that has on RMBS. And one thing that came up was the government's intervention, um, which I wrote about a few weeks ago, uh, which was quite universally agreed not to have much impact for RMBS. Um, yeah, didn't people, I remember reading the piece, didn't they say that it was actually, it was doing less than the pandemic relief measures? Yeah, and, and then lots of these things are just kind of a standard offering anyway for distressed borrowers. So, uh, but one one interesting point the investor made was that um, the non banks haven't been invited to this summit. So while eighty percent of the mortgage lending market was there, non banks were most of the well, not maybe not most, but much of the credit risk is concentrated weren't invited. So given that they're the ones doing the generally the non prime lending, uh, you would have thought it would make sense for them to be there. Um, right. So is this sort of a case of somebody solving a problem with other people involved in the problem? Um, yeah, in a way, I mean, it's, uh, it just doesn't make much sense as as an approach, it seems to me, uh, to genuinely tackling affordability worries. Uh, obviously, how much of an impact that will end up having on RMBS is still remains to be seen because a lot of the impact of interest rates rising is yet to feed through and the full extent of interest rate rises is also not yet clear and how high they'll be for how long is also not yet clear. That was it for this week's episode. If you are a non-bank lender with views on mortgage regulation or if you have thoughts on anything else we talked about, please get in touch with George and me. Otherwise, make sure to head over to globalcapital.com if you want to know more about our stories and anything else that's going on in the market. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye until next week. Welcome.